So hold your thumb there in Exodus chapter 19 if you wish, but I want to look over at a text from 1 Peter chapter 2. And it's here on the screen for you if you don't have your Bibles this morning. Uh, I think it's important that we look at Old Testament. As you know, we've been looking at Old Testament the last couple of months. But it sheds some light on us as New Testament Christians. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter. I apologize about that shadow there. I don't know what that's about, whether it's the, the screen or whether it's maybe it's that door behind the, the screen that's, that's open. Nevertheless, uh, read along with, with me if you could. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10 says this, But you are a chosen race. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this describes you. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Who called you out of darkness. This is what God has done for us. Amen? God has called us out of darkness into marvelous light. That is part of good news. Then he goes on to say in verse 10, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but how many of you need mercy? I need mercy, right? We all need mercy. The world needs mercy. Sometimes the world doesn't recognize it. But we all need mercy. For those of us as followers of Jesus Christ, this is how Peter describes us. A royal priesthood, holy nation, once not a people, but now we are a people. Why? It's all because of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's all because of what God has done for us. Can you imagine that kind of love? Every time I think about that, it blows me away. And so with that in mind, with what it says, this is New Testament. For those of us who consider ourselves New Testament, all of us are, New Testament followers of Jesus Christ, I want you to keep that text in mind or put a thumb there, put some kind of marker there, because we're going to return to it near the end of uh, the sermon this morning. But 1 Peter 2 and 9 describes us as New Testament followers of Jesus Christ. You may say, well, what does that have to do with Exodus chapter 19? I hope I can show you what it has to do with it. Exodus chapter 19 now. I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version. So hopefully you can follow along in whatever translation you choose to read. It says, on the third new moon after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, in other words, 90 days after being released from Pharaoh and the Egyptians, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They had journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Did you notice that repetitive language? They camped there. They camped there. They camped. They encamped there, some translations say. Why would it be repetitive language that they camped there? They camped there. I don't know about you, but I am not one to sit still. Not very often. Sometimes it's good to camp and listen, right? Several weeks ago, we talked about, or at least alluded to, the Psalm 4610 text where it says, be still and know that I'm God. Many of us have a struggle with being still, don't we? Many of us think we have, let's be honest, many of us think we have better plans than God has, right? Our timing is sometimes better in our mind than God's timing, right? Am I speaking for myself or am I speaking for you as well? 
Right? To some extent, we all have this in our mind that we know better than God. God forgive us. Because we don't know better than God. And so when it says, be still and know that I am God, I hope that you make that a part of your prayer life every day of your lives. Because we all struggle with knowing who God is. We all struggle with being still. We all struggle with this thing called control. And if we'll just give up control and let God be God, can you imagine what things will work out? Sometimes we just need to camp out and wait on God. Right? So they encamped. And then they camped. Then Moses, it says, in verse 3, went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and you shall tell the Israelites, You have seen what I have done to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole nation is mine. But you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. Listen to those descriptors. These are the people of God. These are the Israelites. I grant you it's old. It applies to you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Right? If you will, then I will. Right? Conditional. Most of us remember our English class from junior high or for high, from high school. And we remember this conditional clause. This is if, then. Right? If you will do your part, then I will do my part. Right? So it says in verse 7, Moses came, he summoned the elders of the people, and he set before them all these words the Lord had commanded him. The people all answered. It must have been a Sunday, right? We feel really spiritual today. The people all answered as one, and they said, everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak with you and so trust you ever after. He's ordaining Moses for not just to speak to the Pharaoh. He's ordaining Moses as a leader, as a director of people, right? Moses is going to be the first prophet, if you will. He will be God's mouthpiece for the Israelites. And they are to pay attention, to heed my voice kind of language. So when Moses had told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today. And tomorrow have, I, have them wash their clothes and prepare for the third day, because on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the, south, in the sight of all the people. Can you imagine? We're anticipating God showing up, right? The reason that we camp, the reason that we stop, the reason that we hesitate to move any further, you see, we have in our minds this idea, let's, let's use the example of Abraham for a second. We, most of us know the text in Genesis where it says, God told Abraham to get up and leave and go from point A to point B. He didn't tell Abraham where point B was. He just said, leave your country, leave your people, leave your household, and go to the place, pretty vague, right, that I will show you. And most of us think that Abraham got up right away and he left. That's not the case. He had to convince his wife. He had to convince his family. He had to gather things. He had, to, he had so many possessions, right? There's, there's, and by the way, they didn't go from point A to point B. They went from point A to point C to point H. You get the idea? They end up at point B. But don't think that when God calls you, it's time to get up and leave. You also have to sense what God's timing is. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes God shows you something 
Sometimes God calls you to do something, but He doesn't do it right away. You follow what I'm saying? Sometimes there's a season of preparation. Right? I'm getting a lot of blank looks. Sometimes there's a season of preparation. Sometimes God calls you to do something, but He wants to prepare you to get there and be in a place that He's already working. In other words, if you know the Abraham story, you know in Genesis chapter 12 when God calls Abraham, God is so smart that He knows in chapter 22 He's going to tell Abraham to sacrifice his own son. And let that sink in for a second. Because oftentimes we think that when God calls, I'm going to run out the door. Now sometimes that happens. But all too often, we run out and we're never encamped listening for the rest of the directions from God. You follow? We want to go and do something for God. We want to make some kind of concentrated effort. And God is saying, you haven't heard the rest of the directions. You haven't prepared yourself. And I think we do it to our own detriment. Sometimes it's good to be in a place where we can just be still and know that God is God. And then when He says jump out and go do what He's asked us to do, then and only then will we be guaranteed success. Right? Not success in man's eyes, but success the way God defines success. I I hope that makes sense to you. There's so many things that we want to do. There's so many things that, you know, whether it's, whether it's emotion, whether it's indigestion, whatever the case may be, we want to go and do. We want to go and do. We want to go and change the world. I remember, I remember going to the police academy. Day one, I felt like I had a big S on my t-shirt, right? I was going to be Superman and there would be no crime in the area. How naive is that, right? How foolish is that? And whatever job it is, it doesn't have to be law enforcement. Whatever job you find yourself in, here's a little secret. You don't have an S on your chest. You will not, you will not eliminate crime or, or fix everybody's problems. You want to, and you want to be a part of whatever God is doing in their life. But listen, you want to be a part of what God is doing. It's His plans and not your plans. It's His plans and not my plans. It's His plan and not our plans. You you follow what I'm saying? That's why it's important to be still and wait upon the Lord and prepare. Because God's going to do what God's going to do when the time comes and we see the fruit, guess what happens? We're going to be in so much better place than where we were if we tried to do it on our own. Right? So he says, prepare. Moses went down, it says in verse 14, went down from the mountain to the people. He consecrated the people and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, prepare for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, as well as a thick cloud on the mountain, and a blast of trumpets so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. 
they knew something was happening, right? When God shows up, you know something is happening. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Verse 18, now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. Can you imagine? I, I, wish, we could, I wish we had a chance to go back to whether it's 8mm or, or Blu-ray or DVD and just see what's recorded here, right? How would you feel, Robert, if, if you knew you were standing at the bottom of the mountain at Mount Sinai and all of a sudden this trumpet blast happens and you, you tremble with fear, right? I mean, we would all be trembling with fear. And then, and then there's this cloud of smoke, right? Which describes the presence of God. Have you ever thought about that? As we gather around the table as New Testament Christians, remember, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, everything that happened in the Old Testament for the Israelites has happened for us as New Testament believers. Every time we gather around this table and we commune with each other, but more importantly, we commune with God, do you expect God to show up? Maybe not in a cloud of smoke, but surely God's presence is in this place. What happens if you miss it? What, what happens if you don't expect God to show up? What if you're just here because it's Sunday, and on Sunday at 10.30, at 10.45, you show up at Hillcrest Christian Church without anticipating God's presence. What a shame. Do you, do you expect a God to show up? Verse 19, as the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses would speak and God would answer him in thunder. When the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people not to break through to the Lord to look, otherwise many of them will perish. This is a sacred place. Why is it a sacred place? Because it's Mount Sinai? No. Because there's a cloud around the mountain? No. Because Moses is Moses? No. We've seen failure in Moses, right? Over and over. He gives excuse after excuse after excuse. Remember Exodus chapter 3? It's holy because God's presence is there. What makes it holy is God's presence. If you even touch the mountain, you fall over dead. That kind of holiness, right? Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people are not permitted to come to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and keep it holy. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let either the priest or the people break through to come up to the Lord, otherwise he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and, tell them, and told them. There's two things, two things, two major things that I want to think about, I want you to think about this morning as we consider Exodus chapter 19. As we've just talked about, we as believers in Jesus Christ, we who are followers of, of God in the New Testament times, we are a holy nation. We are a people belonging to God. That should change things. Once we were not a people, but now we are a people. Once we had no hope, but now we have hope. Once we just thought we understood what grace was. We, underst we thought we understood what love was. But now we understand the more it's revealed to us, 
We understand what grace is. We understand what faith is. We understand what love is. Why? Because we know Jesus Christ. You follow? Another Old Testament text you might be aware of. You might write this down so you can look at it later. Leviticus 10, verse 10 says, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common. Listen to that. The writer tells them to the Levitical tribe, Levites, right? You are distinguished between the holy and the common. Most of you know the, the word holy means to be set apart. Hagias in the Greek means to be set apart, to be different, right? So you've got the common, you've got the everyday, and then you've got something that's different. You're to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the clean and the unclean. There's a couple of things I told you I want to point out to you here in Exodus chapter 19. First of all, let me ask you to consider this. What has God done for you? We, we sing songs. We say prayers. We gather weekly, sometimes twice a week, sometimes more often than that. But I think it's important that we think about what God has done for us. Not just on our anniversary of our baptism, or not just when the preacher says to consider it, but it should be before you day in, day out. What has God done for me? You ever find it strange that we have a prayer list that has more petitions than it has praises? Right? I find myself convicted about not being grateful enough. When you consider what God has done for you, I think you'll be a grateful person. I think you'll be thankful for the next, the next breath. I think you'll be grateful for the rain. Not only the rain that falls from the sky, but the rain that falls upon your soul. You understand what I'm saying? It's the difference between moving the knowledge from here to here. We'll talk about that here in a second, right? Moving from head to heart. I believe we need to be thankful people. But I also know we're encased in this stuff called flesh. This stuff called skin. And it's more than just this physical stuff called skin. It's the spiritual stuff called sarks, right? Paul says that we have this old man that will die very, 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 very slowly. In fact, that old man wants to live. You know what I'm talking about? Right? And so that old man tries to convince you that you shouldn't be grateful, you shouldn't be thankful, or you start to see things, um, you become more cynical, you become more sarcastic. You become more bitter. You see things in negative light rather than the opportunities that God gives us. You follow? What has God done for you? He saved me. Okay, what does it mean that He saved you? What does it mean that you walked down the aisle and you said some words and you got in the baptistry and we saw this picture of buried with Christ in baptism and risen to walk in a newness of it? What does that mean? What does it mean for the Israelites? Did you notice here? Moses is told by God to tell the Israelites, remind the Israelites. Why, are they told to, why is he told to remind the Israelites? And not just this time, but it happens over and, o and 
day. Every time we have this Passover, right? What's interesting about this, I, man, you've got the young child, part of the, part of the ceremony, if you will, is as they gather around this table, and you have this empty chair, right, for the Messiah. But as they gather around this table, the young male stands up and asks questions. And he asks questions about, what does this mean? What's this apple salad about? And should I really like horseradish? And the patriarch, the older male, is allowed to share, if you will, the gospel with the young child. Think about that for a second. What a huge opportunity. But we who are not Jews, we're Gentiles, right? We, we who are not going through the ceremony other than what we do on Sunday mornings, we become callous to what God has done for us. I don't think that's saying too much. We become hardened to what God has done. We, we become less grateful day in, day out. We forget about God's grace. We forget about His mercy. And every time we see the, cross, the passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson, the reason we were so offended by that movie is because we've forgotten about what Jesus Christ had done for us. And we forget it over and over and over again. The reason that Moses has to tell the Israelites is because they were just like we are, is they would forget the goodness of God. And so he says specifically in chapter 19 that God has delivered you from bondage. How many of you have been delivered from bondage? Some of us, not all of us, but some of us. I hope it's all of us by the time we leave this place, right? We're not talking about Egypt. We're not talking about geographical area. We're talking about this bondage. Paul would say this, this stranglehold, this, this sin that holds us back. You understand we all sin, but you don't have to be in bondage anymore. You're not in any chains anymore. I hope you've been delivered from bondage. That's a picture in the Old Testament that describes us as New Testament believers. He's carried you on eagle's wings. How many of you have been? Yeah. That's a great, great picture. A metaphor for God's faithfulness, right? You didn't have enough money at the end of the month. What are you going to do about paying these bills? How many times has God come through? You had a diagnosis and the doctor says, I don't know what we'll do. And then all of a sudden, it changes. You have to attribute it to a God thing, right? He's carried you on eagle's wings over and over. All of us have different testimonies of that. But surely you recognize it's God's being faithful. It's, it's not what I do. It's, it's not necessarily what you do. You, you may be a part of what God's doing, but ultimately we have to attribute the glory, the honor, everything Good to God, right? He's carried us on eagle's wings. Imagine that. Think about that. Remember that over and over and over again. Not just on Sunday at 10.45 in the morning. But every time you hit a bump in the road, remember, God has carried you on eagle's wings. And He's brought you to Himself. Remember the New Testament Gospels where the disciples are saying, you know, Jesus is a little busy. His itinerary has been 
cram packed full of stuff, right? Event after event after event. Going from place to place, healing person after person after person. And he's a pretty busy guy, and they're trying to do the best they can. And so they try to keep this child over here, right? Don't, don't bother him. He's busy with other things. Remember what he says? Let the little children come, right? He's redefining for them what God wants to do. Let, let the little children... In other words, nobody is beyond all of these things. Delivering from bondage. Carrying on eagle's wings. And he brought you... He brought you to Himself. Isn't that good news? Yes, that's good news. Do you think people outside these walls need to hear that? I was standing off to the side. Sherry was giving us a little bit of tour yesterday at Samaritan Inn. And I'm standing off to the side in a little small, this is a renovated nursing home uh, over on McDonald Street. I'm standing off to the side in this dining hall, if that's what you want to call it. It was a couple of tables, and it was crowded. They, they really need this new place for space, right? So much more opportunity to serve the community. But I'm standing off looking at these people and thinking, how many of these people need to know this? That God offers this not just to us in this room, but to them. How many people over at Town Creek need to know the same message? That God wants to deliver you. That God wants to carry you. That God wants you to bring Come sit on my lap. Isn't that really cool? People need to know that. that. That's the hope that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to come and, and, and sit and commune with one another and, and go through the motions. It's much more than that. People need to hear the hope. If there's anything lacking in our society today, church, if there's anything lacking in our society, you will not convince me of anything else other than people lack hope. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with their spouse who drinks every night, who gets drunk, who beats them up. They don't know what to do with their unruly kids. They don't know what to do with these, these kids that will be placed in alternative schools because they're so reaching out for some kind of attention. They don't know what to do with, with people that are strung on illegal drugs. People lack hope, right? And the only thing that's going to cure that is not a program. The only thing that's going to cure that is Jesus Christ moving in, taking up residence in their life, and doing as God wants to do with the entire world. I apologize for yelling. But you understand what I'm saying, right? So now what? I mentioned to you, this is a conditional statement here in Exodus chapter 19. This is what God has done for us. So, so now what? If you will obey my voice. Notice what God has already done. He's, he's delivered them from bondage. He, he's carried them on eagle's wings. He has brought them to Himself. But it says, if you will obey My voice. If, if, if. If you will, Second Chronicles right, 7.14, if you will humble yourselves, if you will pray, if you will seek My face, then I will turn and I will heal your land. What a great promise, right? 
But it's only if you will humble yourselves and realize you can't do it all. As a matter of fact, you really can't do anything, can you? Unless God gives you the opportunity to do something. If you will obey my voice, if you will keep my covenant. Let me, covenant's an interesting word, right? What is covenant? We, we miss this in, in the Western world. What is covenant? A simple definition is this. With one party, in this case God, binding himself by solemn oath between God the ruler and us as the subjects. That's a covenant. I will do this for you, right? It's, most of the time in the Old Testament you see this called a suzerain covenant. I'm going to do this for you. Now, you, will you receive it? The same thing happens in the New Testament, right? The Gospel is Jesus Christ was sent by the Father and He came and He died for the entire world. Now, will you receive it? One party, God, doing what we could never do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it goes so far as to say, Paul to the Corinthian church, saying that Jesus Christ didn't just take our sins to the cross, He became my sins for me. He became your sins for you. Now what? Now what will you do about it? Will you receive the gift? Will you obey? Will you keep the covenant? Because this is what we call a bilateral covenant. God has done this for you. Now what will you do? And if you do this, here's, here's the result. You shall be my... This is right out of Exodus 19. No, this is right out of 2 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, I should say. You will be my treasured possession. You will be that holy nation. You, you will be a, a priesthood of believers, is what Peter says. You, you'll be a king, kingdom of priests. What do a, what a priests do? Priests are mediators between God and the people, right? This is not a paid position we're talking about. We're talking about the church. We're talking about the people of God. You will be priests. You ever thought of as priests? You're, you're a priest, right? You are a go-between between the world and God. and Between God and the world. Some of you don't like that responsibility doesn't matter whether you like it or not. That's who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, be a priest because that's what He calls you. The, re the result is you will be a treasured possession. You will be a kingdom of priests. I can't imagine a greater calling. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a retiree, it doesn't matter really what you do on this earth. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if He's moved in and taken up residence in your life, you are a go-between. You are a mediator between Him and the world, between the world and Him. What a great privilege it is to be able to pray and know that we pray on behalf of everybody else to God. What a great privilege it is to know God enough that when God speaks, we hear and we can share it with the world. Isn't that amazing? That's what priests do, right? So number one, I want you to think of yourself as covenant people.
Because you are a covenant people. Whether you know it or not, you've made agreement not just to receive salvation, not just to escape the fire of hell. You've agreed. You've signed on the dotted line. right? You have... Think about the last mortgage you took out. Think about the, time you, the last time you had to buy a car and perhaps you didn't have all the cash for it. And they, they slid this piece of paper over in front of you. This is where you read the fine print, right? You're not in a hurry to get out of the office. I'm going to stop and I'm going to read the, the fine print because I want to make sure I know what the fine print says. Right? Guess what? This is the fine print. God's not pulling any wool over your eyes. God's not secretive. God's telling you everything that's expected of you as a covenant people, and it's found right here from Genesis to Revelation. Right? No secrets. You're a covenant people. God has always done His part, right? God has always done His part, right? Yes, He has. Have you done yours? You're a priest. You're a mediator. You're a go-between. Have you done yours? Some of you know you're called to teach Sunday school. Why aren't you teaching Sunday school? Some of you know you, you can write a check all... Well, we'll come back to that here in a second, right? Some of you know you're called to do something. Maybe it's be up here on the worship team. Why aren't you up here on the worship team? We're not asking for perfection. We're not asking for perfection, I promise you. But God has called us. God has gifted us. If we don't use those gifts for His glory, it's sinful. If we're not making an impact in the world around us, wherever that bubble it is where you go, Monday through Saturday, if you don't make an impact for the kingdom, it's sinful. Number two. Did you notice what it says? after He reminds them of what God has done. They're covenant people. We need to be reminded of that because next week, as we get into the Ten Commandments and God lays out His law, the reason that we want to obey is because those things don't tie us down. Those things allow us peace. The, the reason that God told Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree was not prohibition. It was because he knew what would lead to peace. Leading to peace would be not eating from the tree. But chaos was all about eating from the tree. Chaos was all about taking control, and despite what God said, doing your own thing. And what happened? We've all experienced that, right? So we're covenant people. So Moses eventually, it says in verse 7, he comes and calls the elders. He sets them all the words that God had commanded him. Yeah, we'll, we'll do what you say, Moses. It seems like that God has been pretty faithful to us so far. We'll do whatever it is you say. Just let us get out of here. Let us go have lunch. Right? Football season doesn't start for another couple weeks, so you're all right. And then we get this interesting part of the text. And Moses tells, describes back and forth this conversation. In verse 10, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. 
wash, let them wash, let them wash their garments. Is there anything, I mean, there's some, there's some good detergent out there. I'm not sure that any detergent's good enough to wash the sins of the people. Right? In other, they, in other words, they can never be good enough to be in the presence of God. Guess what? You and I could never be in, good enough to be in the presence of God. You understand that? You, you want to talk about grace? We're still standing. We're still sitting here. That's grace. Right? We could never do enough. We could never be clean enough. But I want you to understand, God tells Moses, and Moses tells the Israelites, and I'm telling you, the same command applies today, that we should wash our garments. What are you saying we should wash our garments? What are you saying, Moses, that we should consecrate ourselves? What are you saying that, in other words, just encampment? I know we're staying and we're waiting and we're doing all these things that we're told to do, but have you prepared yourselves to hear from God? In Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, let me back up for a second. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Consecrate, there's that word, consecrate. The word consecrate is kind of interesting. It means to set yourself apart. You want to talk about holiness, you want to talk about consecrate. They're, they're, they're synonymous in a lot of ways. But he says, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. In other words, if you don't consecrate yourself, if you're not in the right place, Spiritually, God, worst case scenario, He destroys you. In best case scenario, if you don't consecrate yourselves, He may not show up. But Joshua, as they're moving to the promised land, says this, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, before we go into Jericho and overtake Jericho, you've got to purify yourselves. You've got to wash your garments. You've got to cleanse yourself. For the Lord will do wonders among you. Go back to that previous slide. Wash your garments. Consecrate yourselves. In other words, prepare. Right? What makes the Sabbath holy? I guarantee you it's, it's, the Sabbath is holy all because it's what we represent. What, what represents on the Sabbath. What, what, what we celebrate on the Sabbath. Right? That's what makes the Sabbath holy. What makes the elements here holy? Is it the right kind of crackers? Is it the right kind of grape juice? Well, I hope not. It's what those things represent, right? That's what makes it holy. Right? What makes something holy? It's not me up here preaching to you. It's not singing your favorite worship song. It's not being here four out of four Sundays every month. What makes something holy? What makes it holy? What makes it set apart? What makes it different than the common if you will, is God's presence. The Sabbath is holy because God's presence. Jesus will say in Mark chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You hear that? The communion elements I just mentioned to you, what sets them apart is not the right kind of cracker or the right kind of grape juice or the way we pass it or how we're setting in here. They're, they're holy because they've been set apart for worship. Well, what makes your offering any different? What makes that check that you write? What makes that debit card, that, that, that debit any different than 
going down to Target or going down to Walmart. Well, you can write check after check after check or give a certain percentage to the church, but if it's not for the purpose of worship, it hasn't been set apart. It's not consecrated. It's not used for worship. Do you understand? You, you can come to church. You can be here at 10.30 every Sunday. You can answer all the right questions, right? Well, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Not really. You can say all the right things, but knowing well that if you're not good, right? you can attend all the time, but if you're not preparing yourself, if you haven't prayed before you ever arrive, when, you, when you're at home and you open the Word, you do, right? When you open the Word at home, do you pray that God would speak to you before you open the Word? Do you prepare yourself? If not, you're really not worshiping. You, you can work Monday through Friday, and it can be menial task. You can serve in many ways. You can fill a void. And but if you do not work, as the Word says, work for God. In other words, if your motive isn't worship, the work isn't holy, it's not set apart, it's not consecrated, it's simply tedious work. Note the text from Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. The point is, church, we have to prepare ourselves for God's presence. And if we haven't prepared ourselves if we haven't consecrated ourselves, if we haven't asked God to make our sins very evident so that we could repent and be remorseful for our sins, then chances are God will never show up from the mountain. You follow? A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, says it this way. Listen, we can know the right words. You can know all the Sunday school lessons. You can hear sermon after sermon. You can know all the right words, yet never be changed. This is a difference between information and transformation. You hear that? Do you hear that? You can come and attend every day, every Sunday and call yourself a part of the church, but if you've never been transformed, if you've never been consecrated, if you've never purified yourself, then chances are you probably won't hear from God. You're a covenant people. We are a covenant people. We are a people that it just describes what God has done for us. He's delivered us from bondage. Many of you raised your hands just a few minutes ago. He's delivered us from bondage. He's carried us on eagle's wings. He's been faithful to us. Going back to the early 20th century, Hillcrest, He's been faithful to us. This past week, you can think about times in your own life, He's been faithful to us. He's brought us to Himself. He set us on His lap. And He calls us what we are. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, whether you want to be or not. You are a holy nation, a people for His possession, not your own. You have died to self. 
Your role is to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Remember. Remember. For some of us, it's been a long time. For some of us, we've never thought about it. But I'm telling you today, remember, once you were not a people, but because Christ has done what Christ has done, you are now a people. You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, praise God, we've received mercy. I want you to know who you are as the church. The fine print is right here. You can't plead ignorance anymore. Let's pray.